Come on, come on. Does that pump anybody up or just me? Man, uh, wow, so good to be with you. That was loud. Hey, uh, you guys doing good? I'm excited, uh, so excited to be back with you tonight. We are uh, launching into a brand new series, just wrapped up something called Fearless, and it was an incredible couple weeks, but I'm excited to be back with you tonight, starting a brand new thing, and it is kind of a vision series. It's a little bit about uh, who we are here at College of 12 Stone, and uh, really what we're going to be going after for the next year, for the next two semesters or so, and uh, just want to let you know, if, if you're new around here, if you're just kind of checking it out or whatever, I hope tonight's helpful to you. I hope you get a little bit of an idea of what we're about. And uh, if you're not new, if you've been around for a while, some of it may seem a little bit repetitive. You're like, come on, man, I've been around 12, so I've heard this. But I hope that it's, uh, hope it's familiar, but maybe with a little different flavor for you and gives you, gets you excited. I believe that there's great days ahead for this ministry and great days ahead for what God wants to do uh, in us and through us. You believe that? So uh, I'm really excited. I want to kind of begin tonight a little bit differently with, uh, I was just kind of preparing uh, preparing this evening or, or today for this evening, and uh, it's been an interesting week. If I just have like a little honest moment with you, it's been an interesting week for me, and just kind of been walking through some things. And I think part of it is uh, the Hurricane Harvey stuff. It's just, I mean, you can't get you can't get on social media without seeing things. You can't watch TV without seeing things. You can't really talk to anybody without talking. Someone's got a news story of something they saw, and so it's it's heartbreaking. And it's just been heavy. I think it's been heavy on my soul a little bit and probably heavy on yours as well. But it's just been one of those weeks. You ever have one of those weeks where you just walk around feeling like you're carrying some stuff? And maybe, maybe you've had one of those as well. But uh, it was kind of in the middle of that. And I was like, God, how do, I, how do I get up there while I'm feeling like that? And he just said, you know what, Austin? Why don't you just elevate my word, elevate the scriptures, and just let that be what we gather around tonight. And you're probably like, Austin, I thought we'd do that every night. Well, I hope we do, but sometimes he just speaks a little bit more clearly. And so uh, tonight I just want to read some scripture to kind of start our night and just let uh, the Bible be what we gather around because it's his truth, it's his foundation, it's his refuge that we run to in times like these with the hurricane stuff or, or with your just heaviness that you're carrying, you know. And so it's been a, it's been a rock for me. And so I just want to kind of put it out there for us and let us just kind of go for it. Is that cool? So uh, maybe a little bit more uh, than what you're used to reading, but um, we're only going to talk about a little section of it, but I thought let's just read a lot of it and let the scriptures kind of teach themselves. Is that cool? So I want to read to you out of uh, Luke chapter 15, an incredible chapter of the Bible, and uh, I want to read to you tonight out of the message translation. As I was studying, I just I came across this translation, and uh, the words of it just spoke powerfully to me. And, and so that's not what you have in your seats there. That's an NIV translation, but uh, we're going to put it on the screens, and I'm going to read it in the message translation and just hope that it, it speaks to you. You good with that? Good. You don't have a choice. <laughs> Luke chapter 15 starts out like this. It says, uh, by this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religion, religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. So Jesus goes on to tell them these parables, and he says this. He says, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? 
When found, you can be sure that you would have put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I have found my lost sheep. Count on it. Listen to this. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Wow. Then he goes on, he says this, or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. I don't think we had this on the screen. I just kind of wanted to continue reading if that's okay. Is that all right? Or imagine a woman. So he tells another parable. Or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors and she'll say, celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party that God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. I'm going to keep reading. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. He wanted his inheritance. So the father divided the property between them, and it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with the citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig stop, slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and yet here I am starving to death. I'm going to go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and he went home to his father. Last few verses. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't even listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. I don't know why that's funny to me, but we're going to the feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here. He was given up for dead, but now he's alive. He was given up for lost, but now he's found. And they began to have a wonderful time. I'm going to stop there. Such an incredible story of God's love for his people and uh, Jesus explaining his love for all of humanity and how even the prodigal son, like us, he chases after like the father and he has a father's love for each of us. And so I want to pray for us tonight as we get into this and I'm going to unpack a little bit of it, but I just, uh, the scripture just spoke to me as I'm preparing and I'm praying it does for you as well. I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word, your divine word. And God, I pray that tonight it would become more than just words on a page and it would become revelation in our heart. Lord, that we would be more like you and have a better glimpse of who you are and your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Anybody got any coffee? Nobody's got coffee, just me. Hey, uh, do, you, do you have a favorite holiday? Do you have a favorite holiday? 
What uh, I hear a lot of Christmases. Let's go straight middle school right now. Why don't you, on the count of three, just yell out your favorite holiday? Can we do that? One, two, three. Wow. A couple good ones. Can I just be honest with you? Uh, and I heard it over here, and I don't know who said it, so I'm not going to point anybody out. But I kind of silently judge people who say Halloween is their favorite holiday. Like, uh, you're going you're gonna to call yourself out. I don't know. It just seems weird to me, right? Like, Halloween, out of all the amazing holidays, the joyful, the, the giving, the just incredible seasons that we have and the holidays we, we uh, get to enjoy together, that Halloween would be the one. It, I'm silently judging you, man. I'm not going to look at you the whole service. But to me, that's crazy. Like, you got to, uh, like, skeletons, those kinds of things are the things you get excited about. It's weird to me, I guess. But I, I, uh, I guess Christmas, I guess if, if you said Easter, you're more spiritual than all of us. Good for you. Or you just love the Easter bunny, I guess, and all the chocolate and that kind of thing. I guess Christmas is spiritual too, but uh, <laughs> kind of, a little bit. Uh, I guess Christmas is one of my favorites, but I really like, I heard someone say birthday. I really like birthdays too. Can you consider a birthday a holiday? I feel like you can't, but uh, we're going to for tonight. I really like birthdays too, because birthdays and Christmas share one thing in common. You know what they share? Gifts. They share presents. How many of you still get a gift from your parent on your birthday? Anybody still? Right. Yes. Yes. I love, I'm, I'm 29 years old. My mom sends, still sends me stuff. What a great mother. And uh, anyways, gifts are funny. To me, there is nothing more awkward in all of humanity than watching someone open a gift. Like, it is extremely awkward, right? Because you just, some people, people don't know how to receive gifts. It's like a problem in our society. If we can fix how people receive gifts in society, I think we'd be a better world. They just don't know, they don't know how to do, like, you get the guy that, that knows that it's really awkward, and he feels the awkwardness, he feels everyone looking at him, and so to compensate for that, he just hurries up, and then it becomes even more awkward, because he's like, dude, you went through 15 gifts in like 30 seconds, and I spent a lot of time buying you that gift, and it's just, that's awkward. Then you get the person who, um, the, the person that doesn't know how to say thank you. You guys know that person? Maybe you are that person. And, and, and then they say something like this. I hear this a lot, and it cracks me up, because I'm like, I don't even know what that means. They say, oh, you didn't have to do that. Uh, yeah, I know. I know I didn't have to, but I did. It's a gift. That's what a gift is, you know? You shouldn't have. Yeah, I know I shouldn't have, but I did. It's called a gift. That's, that's what it is, right? People just don't know how to receive gifts. It's something we should work on. Like, like it's just uh, receiving kind of implies that you just sit there and you just let people give things to you. All right, and it feels weird for most of us. I actually, I love, I was reading this passage of scripture that we just read, the very beginning of it. And in the very beginning, it uses this word receive. And if you look at one of the oldest translations of the scriptures, it uses the word uh, receive. And it says it like this. It says, um, this is the King James Version. It says, this man, uh, talking about Jesus, Jesus receiveth sinners, and he eateth with him. I love the King James Version. The old English language, I just love it. This man, Jesus, receives sinners and he eats with them, receives. Now, I, I was doing some research, and Luke actually, when he wrote this book, Luke actually uses that word receives six different times in this book that he wrote. Uses it six different times. It's not a whole lot, but it's just interesting. And uh, if you look at the original translation of the word, it actually means this. It means to eagerly await or expect and to look for. 
to eagerly await, expect, and look for. Doesn't that mean a little bit more than just sitting there and just kind of waiting for gifts to get? To eagerly await and to expect, and then not even that, but to look, to look for. In other words, uh, Luke 15 verse 2 says that Jesus is not just receiving sinners, but that he is looking for them. And he is eagerly awaiting their coming. He has an eye out for them. He's awaiting them. He's looking for them. The word receive sounds very passive, but for Jesus, it was not passive. In fact, it was very active. He's seeking sinners and tax collectors to come and eat with him. This means that Jesus... Jesus is not trying to isolate himself into a Christian bubble with a bunch of little Christians that believe like him and act like him and do like him. That was not his mission here on earth. In fact, it was quite the opposite. I saw this video uh, this past week of something that I thought was absolutely hilarious of how we as Christians like to just kind of segregate ourselves into our own little bubble and anybody, and we just want to make everything Christian. Like we can't get out into the world. So I saw it and I, and I thought I had to share it with you. If you haven't seen it, hope you get a good laugh out of it. Check it out. Do you love Uber, but always worried about the topics your driver may bring up? Enjoy the rides, but not that crazy about the music selection? Introducing Uber Christian, where custom dash cameras carefully monitor drivers to make sure they'll never swear, and radio filters ensure that K-Love is streaming at all times. With Uber Christian, you can now enjoy like-minded conversations with drivers who also prefer Fox News over CNN. And with complimentary water and breath mints, we'll make sure you travel feeling refreshed and uplifted. And your safety is always guaranteed as each ride includes prayer for traveling mercies and a hedge of protection. Believe in predestination? No seat belt required. At Uber Christian, our custom maps will even prompt detours to avoid potentially tempting situations like bars, nightclubs, and women jogging in yoga pants. Upon arrival, each driver will send you off with a side hug of encouragement. Then rate your driver based on fruits of the spirit. Finally, for the believer who doesn't want to be in the world or of it, Uber Christian. Love your ride? You can even tip your driver with an inspirational Bible verse. So live your best life now with Uber Christian. Also available, Uber Catholic. And coming soon to select markets, Uber Mormon. <laughs> oh, man. Uber Christian. I got to love it. I got to love it. <laughs> uh, Uber Mormon coming soon. Man, that's great. That's great. I just think, I think it's hilarious because it's not far from the truth, right? It's not far from what we often try to do where we just get in our own little bubble. But this was not... Jesus' desire, this was not his plan for his followers. It's not really at all what he wanted for us. I know this may be uh, old news for some of you. You're like, yeah, 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 I know this. But for some of you, if you're a new believer or if you're just kind of getting into the scriptures, you're learning about Jesus, this is a transformational thought that this is who he is. Listen, he is not disgusted. Jesus is not disgusted by sinners. Not at all. If he was, he'd be disgusted with you, and he'd be disgusted with me. Jesus is not disgusted or turned off by sinners. He's disgusted by the sin, but he has an incredible, uh, lavished, reckless love for all of humanity and every single person. So much so that when sin and humanity collided, 
he decided that he had to do something about it because the people that he loved so much, their lives were being wrecked and they were going to be eternally wrecked by the sin that he hated. And so because of his incredible reckless love for us, he did something about our sin. This is, so he hates the sin, but he's not disgusted by the sinner. I want to read to you another verse uh, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. It says this, it says, uh, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to this earth to call sinners. He came to this earth for the sick. This was his purpose. It was never his desire for us to be content with huddling up as a bunch of believers all to our own and pushing everyone else out. That was never what he wanted for us. And then he goes on and he says this whole parable about the sheep. And I know our world, we don't really connect with sheep. I don't, does anybody have like pet sheep? Is that a thing? That's not a thing, right? We, we don't do that. Is anybody a shepherd by day or maybe a shepherd by night? I don't know. That's not a thing in our world, right? But he gives this parable. Let me read it again. It says, suppose one of you had 100 sheep and you lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? And when found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I've found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Probably saying, Austin, come on, like, like what, what's, the, what's the relationship between sheep and me? Good question. I think there are a lot of implications in this story about if this is Jesus' approach to sinners, then it should also be our approach as well, right? I think that's in there. But before you get to that, if I had to just highlight one uh, major part of this parable that Jesus shares, it would be this, that you would understand Jesus, that you would understand who he is and his character and what he thinks about sinners. In fact, what he thinks about you, because that's you. You are that one sheep. You have been that one sheep. You've been lost wandering, doing your own thing. That's you. And so before we start comparing, okay, so if this is how Jesus loves people, then we should love people that way. Before that, you've got to understand that this is how Jesus loves you. Can we just hide behind him and just marvel at him and be amazed at who he is and what he has done for us? That's the number one thing. My aim for the story is that you would see Jesus, that you would saturate your soul with the ways of Jesus, that you would watch him, that you would listen to him, that you would stand in awe of him because this is how he found you. He left the 99 to go after you. This is, the story is unbelievable because it's a story about value. It gives you value. He's saying, you're the sheep, and I had 99. I was good. I didn't need one, but I went after you. It gives you your value. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cared about you. And just so you know, that's how much he continues to care about you when you begin to wander. So I want to give you... Two things tonight that you need to know about being a sheep. Just two quick things that you need to know about being a sheep. The first thing is this. Never escape your identity 
as a sheep. Never escape your identity as a sheep. There's kind of two sides to this story. One is uh, that Jesus pursues those who are not yet in relationship with him. That the people who are not Christians, who are not following him, Jesus is on a hard chase after them. You got to know that. He's on a hard chase after them. That's one side of it, that they're the lost sheep and he's going after them. The other side is this, that Jesus values those who recognize their need for rescue. Because the verse says, uh, heaven rejoices when one sinner is rescued rather than 99 who don't even see a need to be rescued. So there's value for the person who realizes that they need to be rescued. He's saying, never lose your understanding of your need for rescue. Never lose your understanding of your need. So the next time you feel like getting on uh, your high horse and judging and being condescending or whatever you do toward those who are messed up, those who are sinners, those who maybe even slander the name of Jesus, before you do that, just remember that Jesus would leave 99 to chase after them. 99, he would, ch he would chase after that one. And he would rather do that than stay with the 99 who didn't need a rescue. I don't know about you, but I want to keep my posture and who I am as a follower of Jesus as someone who is in constant need of being rescued. That I would wake up in the morning and go, God, I'm just reminded again today of how much I need you. I'm reminded again today of how much I don't stand a chance without the grace of Jesus. I'm reminded again today that I am needing of rescue. He saved me once and for all, but to have that perspective of I am nothing without the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus, that's the approach that he values. Our problem is that most of us are disgusted and condescending toward those who sin in ways that we don't struggle with. Have you noticed that? Like most Christians, we're disgusted and we're really condescending or judgmental toward people who struggle with sins. And most of the time, they're sins that I don't have an issue with. Let's just be real for a second. This is kind of the nature, the reality of most of Christianity today. I know it's my tendency as well. Like, um, like man, that person is a glutton. Do you guys know that's a sin, gluttony? That person is a glutton. Oh, my gosh. Because I don't, I don't struggle with gluttony or, or whatever sin it is, right? So someone once said that proximity uh, brings passion. Distance brings distortion. Proximity causes passion. Distance causes distortion. So what that means is that the closer I am to something, the more passionate I am about it or the more compassionate I am about it, or the more empathy I show towards someone. This is why most of, a lot of people can stand on their high horse and make a lot of high statements or large statements about gay people because they've never had a friend that was gay, or they've never been around anyone. But wait until your son struggles with that, or wait until your best friend struggles with that, or wait until your brother comes out with that. Wait until that, and then tell me what you think. But most of us aren't even friends with anybody who struggles with that. So it's real easy for us to just give some big statements about what we believe, but we've never even walked alongside of it. Do you see what I'm saying? 
So you can't have a view about sin if you've never even actually been around it. Or perhaps you can have a view about it, but be careful about how you talk about it because you've never really even been around anybody who's been walking through it. Does it make sense? I'll just be uh, pretty honest with you. I guess that's what I'm doing. Um, I was um, probably in that boat. I mean, I guess we all struggle with that a little bit. And, uh, but I remember a couple years ago when I was an intern here at 12 Stone, you know, it was like a part-time thing. And so I had another part-time job. And uh, so I was, a, I was a personal trainer down in, like, the Atlanta Buckhead area. That was kind of my, my, I had, you know, I was, like, licensed or whatever for that. So I moved here to Atlanta, and uh, my uncle lives down in Atlanta. And so uh, my uncle has been gay for, I don't know, probably, like, 25 years. And so he lives down there. And so um, he said, hey, man. I got a job for you if you want to come down here and be a personal trainer with me. He owns like his own company and that kind of thing. So I said, okay, well, I, I, need, a, I need a job. And he said, well, just so you know, like most of the people that, that you're going to be training with are going to be gay. And so I said, well, you know, just so you know, I'm not going to be afraid to share my views. Right? I was that guy. And um, so he said, okay, you do your thing. Anyways, so I got into um, this job, started working uh, and sure enough, every single one of the clients that I was training was a gay guy down in Atlanta. And, um, you know, I had my views or whatever. But I did this for about two years, about three, sometimes four days a week, spending hours uh, in a gym training, personal training. And as I did this, I started to get to know these people. And I started to hear a little bit of their stories. I started to hear kind of what they had come through. I started to hear the things that I had never heard before, things that I was so quickly to throw my judgment toward and so quickly to come out with my strong views about whatever. And then all of a sudden, I started getting around it, and I started hanging out with my uncle a little bit and listening to him share his story. And by the way, you take time to listen to someone's stories, and, and you get into kind of the dirt of things, and everything kind of rises a little bit, and you start to see things that no one else knew. And I started to just go, man, maybe, uh, maybe my perspective on this has been built completely out of my lack of proximity. And uh, I believe to this day that was, you know, four years ago or whatever. I believe to this day that God had me in that season, in that job for a reason, because it would shift how I would pastor people going forward. Because I've been around it a little bit. And maybe, maybe not as close as some of you. And maybe some of you are like, oh, you don't know anything, Austin, or whatever. But I'm just telling you, when you get close to something, proximity causes passion. So be careful how you talk about someone else's sin or what someone else is walking through. If you've never taken the time to even get to know or have a conversation with someone who's walking through it. Can I get just an amen, maybe? Okay. Let's keep, uh, let's keep moving. You good? You comfortable? <laughs> number two. Number two. First thing was never escape your identity as a sheep. Number two is this. You got to know that there's nowhere you can go that he won't come after you. There's nowhere you can go where he won't come after you. Someone needs to hear that tonight. That you've been running away from God. You've been doing things. 
You've been on your own. You haven't really been into the, the Jesus thing. You haven't been in. You haven't been chasing him. You've been running far, far away, doing the opposite of following him. And you're here thinking that there's no way a God like that could ever love a person like me if he knew what I had been through, if he knew what I had walked through, if he knew the struggles that I have every day, if he knew it, there's no way. And you need to know there is nowhere you can go where he won't come after you. Nothing you can do. I want to read to you another verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. I love it. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. I love this. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, this is the great part, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, there is no one too far, no one too far gone, no one too deep in sin. There is no one too far from the stretch of God's love. Whether you think you're this far or whether you think you're this far, there is no one too far gone. No sheep has wandered too far that he wouldn't come running after. No one. It's a reckless love. It is a reckless love coming for you if that's you. I'm going to invite the band to come back up because we're going to introduce kind of a new song tonight. And for a reason, because this song directly goes with what we're talking about. And uh, don't pack up too much yet. Still got some things I want to say. <laughs> but we're calling this series Reckless because of this. The word reckless is used to describe someone who has uh, no thought or care about the consequences of their actions. It's used to describe someone who would go into something with uh, no care for what the ramifications may be. Or someone who just would say, whatever I'm going after is worth whatever I'm leaving. It's a reckless attitude, right? That whatever I'm going for, I'm willing to go through whatever to get to it. And the reason we're talking about reckless is because I've been studying, and I just believe with all my heart that this is a great word to describe the love of Jesus. In fact, maybe just Jesus in general, that he would be so reckless toward coming after you. That he would go through whatever, that he would risk whatever, that he would take on any sacrifice or anything to come for you. This is the love of Jesus that we are elevating here. That it is a reckless love. You haven't earned it. You haven't deserved it. It's reckless. In fact, he said, I'll go through whatever, even my own death, so that you could have eternal life, so that you could have victory over death itself. That's what he was willing to do for you. It's a reckless, reckless love. He was willing to leave it all to go after you, the lost sheep. And so I want to teach you this new song. I'm not, I'm not singing for sure, but I'll, we want to teach you this new song because 
I've just been listening to it kind of in my own personal quiet time and the past few months. In fact, it's funny because uh, John, I was uh, texted him months ago. Man, I don't know how many months ago that was, but three or four months ago, and I said, dude, you got to listen to this song it's called Reckless Love. And it's been on my heart, and I've just been listening to it in my own personal time because it just reminds me of what he went through and what he was willing to forsake to come after me, the lost sheep. It says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found, and it leaves the 99. I'm, quote, I'm just quoting the lyrics. <laughs> it says, I, I, I couldn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. But it was reckless, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. And I just think as we begin this series, as we begin kind of launching into who we are, that it would begin with a celebration and with a lifting up of the reckless love that we are spreading, that we are exalting, the reckless love of Jesus, that it chased me down. It fought till I was found. It was willing to leave the 99. That's good news tonight because you were the one that he was running after. You are the one that he's chasing after now, in fact. That's the God that we serve. That's the Jesus who loves you more than you could ever imagine. So I want to invite you if you could just quietly stand up. I want to invite us to sing for a little bit. We're going to teach you this song. And maybe tonight, as we worship together, you just get a, a different glimpse or refreshed view of his reckless love toward you. Let's sing together. your 
to me Snow wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up You're coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me share with you a little bit you know that this is the reckless love of Jesus coming after you and uh, this is the love over your life and you know his father like characteristics for you but what does this mean for us what does it mean for us as a community and so why, why don't you do this sit down real quickly because I, I think this is important I want to talk to you just for a brief moment and the band's going to continue to play but I just want to talk to you about what does this mean for us, I mean, if this is the God that we serve, if this is, this is the Jesus that we worship, well, shouldn't that change who we are as a people? The answer is yes, absolutely. So my first aim is that you would understand his reckless love for you as an individual. But my second hope is that we would, as a community, understand that this is our attitude going forward. This is our posture as a group of people. That is, this is not just who Jesus is to us, but once we have uh, an understanding that this is who he is to us, then this is how we go out. That we would act like the one matters. Jesus said it. I mean, that's not just a cute phrase that we say around here at 12. So that's actually what we believe because Jesus said it. Jesus said the one sheep mattered. And so therefore we as a group believe that the one matters, that one life matters. Every single person that is not yet in here matters. In fact, every single person that doesn't even come in here still matters. That's, that's our posture coming out of here. That's who we are as a group. And so my prayer for us is that, that, firstly, that we would be a church 
that doesn't put ridiculous expectations on people that don't yet know Jesus. Maybe this is just like a personal thing that I have, but I just get tired of seeing churches like expect non-Christians to act like Christians. They're non-Christians for a reason. I remember one time I talked to somebody, I was uh, a buddy of mine that wasn't really a Christian, but we were about to pray together. I was gonna pray for him about something and he took his hat off. And I said, hey bro, why'd you take your hat off? And he said, well, you know, someone told me at my old church that like if I didn't take my hat off that, that God wouldn't hear my prayers. I said, okay, so you're telling me that Jesus took nails in his hands and his feet and a sword in his side and a crown of thorns on his head and gave his life for you, was brutally murdered for you, and your two inches of 5950 is going to keep him from hearing your prayer? Is that really our message? <laughs> I said, put your hat back on, bro. That don't matter. Put your hat back on. And I get traditions of churches and that kind of thing, and there's a place for it. I get it. But we can't let stupid things like that keep people from coming to know the reckless love of Jesus. We've got to understand these things. One of my favorite stories of my time here at C12, I remember last semester, uh, or last year sometime, it was after a service, I was hanging out in the lobby and had a kid come up to me. And he said, bro, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I came in here tonight hammered. <laughs> he said, like, I was, I was gone. And uh, he, said, he said, my friends called me. I was at a bar. And they said, you got to come with us to church, man. So he obliged and came to C12. But he said, dude, I was, I was gone. And I think right then he was probably still a little bit gone. <laughs> but he said, what I just experienced in there and what I heard about this person named Jesus, I, I think is going to change my life. And I think it's time that I turn my life around. And right then and there, we prayed together. And I just want you to know, that if we're gonna be the kind of people that represent Jesus well, the kind of people who uh, receive sinners well, you're gonna to have to be okay with church being a little bit messy. And as I guess you, the leader of our community right here, uh, I'm just gonna tell you that that's who we're gonna be. And I didn't stand to that kid and say, hey bro, you listen here, don't you ever come back here again, if that's the case. I said, man, you take as long as you need, you come back here as many times as you want. If you need to go to the bar, if that's what you're dealing with, I don't think that's best for you, but if that's you right now, I promise Jesus isn't a get your act together, then come to me, God. He's a come to me, and then I will help you get your act together. So that's who we are as a people. So I just want you to know a lot of Christians believe that the gospel is for everyone and that one matters, but very few people know how to actually live it out. And here's an example of how it may be lived out in here. It may mean that the person sitting next to you smells like cigarettes. That's okay. It may mean that you love that person next to you, but you better hang on to your wallet too because you don't know them like that. You know what I'm saying? It may mean that your wallet gets stolen. And I hate for that to happen in church. But that means that we're a mess. That means messy people are in here. And I believe that's how we should be. So... We can't just say one matters, we actually have to live it out. So not only do we wanna be a church that doesn't put ridiculous expectations on people, but we should receive people like Jesus, receive. And remember, receive doesn't mean just sit here and hope they come in. Receive means to look for, to chase after, to go after, to be expectant of, which means we have to prepare the way for them to come in. And listen, this is up to you. It's not just up to me. I can say this all I want, but it's up to you and how you're going to live. 
It's up to you and how you go out there. It's up to you and how you treat the people around you. It's up to you and how you treat the person at your school that maybe doesn't live or believe quite like you think they should believe. It's up to you to bring people in here that we would be, you guys have heard this a thousand times, that we would be a refuge for the world, for the dirtiness and the messiness to come in here, that that would be who we are. But that's up to you. And so my challenge to you is how are you going to go out there and live like that? How are you going to live with your eyes wide open to people who don't act like you or think like you, who are messy and broken and sinful, just like you, by the way? Because I promise you, it would be just like Jesus if you would receive people, if you would look for people, if you would chase after people. I believe that's how he would cause us, call us to be. I just have to admit, I'm kind of, I have a tendency to be the guy that's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to press on people too hard. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, weird Christian all up in their business. But God's just been convicting me lately that there's a season for, and there's a time for stepping out. And if you're going to really be a soul winner, you're going to have to take some risk. I want to challenge you that maybe God would have you take some risk. Like, hey, man, have you ever thought about what you believe about Jesus? You may have to step out a little bit. If we're going to see people, if we're going sh- to see the one sheep be found, you may have to step out a little bit with your faith. You may have to get a little bit reckless with how you live out your faith. I believe that's what God's calling us to, what he's calling us to walk into. And imagine what would happen if we all took that attitude and we all went forward. You see this room filled up with people going after Jesus. So I want to challenge you to think like this. If one life matters, and every single one matters, how would God use you to maybe get to the one? Don't get me wrong, I believe the Holy Spirit is the one who moves people and saves people, but how would he use you? Maybe one empty chair matters, and maybe you can just take up the challenge to say, I got an empty chair next to me, but I'm going to pray that God fills it by using me to go get somebody. Who's the one person? Who's one person in your life who's a lost sheep and you need to bring them in and you need to pray that they may meet Jesus, that they meet their shepherd, right? That's on you. That's on you. So John, I'm gonna ask that, can we just sing that bridge again as we close out tonight? There's no shadow you won't light up. Will you stand to your feet as we just sing this together and believe that this is our God, this is who we serve? There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow.